I'm Chris Cohen, and this is Bands to Fans, interviews with professional musicians. For this episode, I spoke with Fur Dixon. Best known for being a member of the punk rock band The Cramps, we discussed her new band, Fur Dixon and What the Fukushima, yes, you heard that right, their new album, Return to Sender, what she learned from the time she spent busking on the streets of New York, and the comfort that comes from owning your history. This episode is brought to you by us. Because of the internet, every musician is now also a media company. Your media company needs a professional writer, editor, interviewer, biographer. Hire bands to fans to tell your story. You can find us online at bands2fans.com. And now, here is the interview with Fur Dixon. So first off, uh, one thing that popped out of me when listening to this album is your voice has this amazing strength to it. Uh, even in soft moments, it's it's got this strength to it. And I'm curious, you know, how is it so strong after years of belting it out in clubs and theaters all over the world? Well, this album is my first um, rock and roll album in um, 20... Well, it's the first time I've gone back into rock and roll. Yeah. So for quite a long time, maybe 25, 27 years, I was um, playing a lot of acoustic solo. But I also did a lot of busking. Mm -hmm. And when my son, um, the reason I kind of went off the path to um, more like singer-songwriter stuff was because I had a child. And um, I just couldn't really, I didn't have the time to have a band. So I started um, busking in New York City um, at art festivals outside and it was like really lucrative wow it's shocking Mm. Mm. how you could open up your case and play you know tunes if you're i guess if you're good enough Mm -hmm. and people you know the first time i ever busked i didn't have anywhere to put the money because i didn't really know i was going to make any money (laughs) and i came home with like i don't know 93 dollars in an hour wow and i had so much change it was like stuffing on my pockets and I didn't have any word. I didn't even have a plastic bag on me to put the change in, you know? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so busking teaches you what works and what doesn't and how to project. Hmm. But I would think yeah. it would, it would, it would, you know, that would take a lot out of your voice, you know, especially since, you know, there is no mic or amplification in, in most of those scenarios. I think it's, I think it's about singing properly. Hmm. You know, it's it's from projecting from the right place. Hmm. Plus, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot because I just did a tour of um, UK, Scotland, Spain and Portugal. 20 days. It was like 15 shows in 20 days. Wow. It was it was pretty rigorous and it was rock and roll and many, many nights in a row. Hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe I can't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I um, I have singers in my history and my family. Like my um, great grandmother was a coloratura opera singer, oh. and light opera. You know, not like the heavy stuff. 
and she did a lot of performing, and both my mother and father sang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad just had a beautiful voice, and he'd send little cardboard records to my mom during the war, and my hmm. mom used to always sing in a choir, so she wasn't a soloist. But who knows what is before that, and I thought, you know, just like firemen have firemen in their history, mm-hmm. they can take the heat, I can probably take the heat vocally. And I do. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I even smoked for quite a while. Oh. Wow. And I, and I, you know, I came out okay. But, you know, I didn't, I played a lot of old-time folk music for about 10 years. And before that, I did singer-songwriter stuff. And so yeah. I wasn't beating, beating the, the trail, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm relatively fresh. But I've taken um, coaching. I have a great vocal coach in Los Angeles, mm. and she teaches based upon the Seth Riggs style, which is like fifth century um, Italian opera, which is sort of something I think like speak singing. Okay. And teaches you how to project, teaches you how to um, um, pronounce. There's all these little tricks of the trade that will help you open. Um, there's there's warm-ups, there's cool-downs. And the guy from the band said, whoa, you know, I guess you're taking this pretty seriously because I would do warm-ups every night. Mm. And then cool-downs, you know, when I could. I've never heard so of cool-downs before. I've heard of singers doing warm-ups, but that's interesting. I've never heard of... of... Well, my vocal coach, Weeba Garretson, She's in um, Los Angeles. She came to see me play one night, and after we were done, she was like, wow, that was fantastic, and she popped a straw in my mouth. And she says, now I want you to sing, uh, let's see, can you see, which song is that? Star Spangled Banner? Yeah. Through the Straw. Hmm. I'm like, okay. She goes, <laughs> it, it, it prevents inflammation like residual inflammation in your vocal cords. And I was like, whoa, and it works. It really, wow. you know, these little tricks, this is how people do it night after night, mm-hmm. you know? But then the other thing is, is that clubs, playing in clubs and playing concerts are really different because clubs, you just have that stage sound, you know? In concerts, you have monitors and, you know, it's, uh, it's, much more um it's much more balanced as far as what you hear and what you have to project and how quiet you can be and all that so right right yeah no that that makes total sense but uh no that's 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 really interesting i'd never heard of the cool downs before uh, i hadn't either but it works man <laughs> i mean that's why i like vocal coaching you know, there were things that I had to do to keep my myself together on the road. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I definitely did them. Because yeah, I mean... I, the, li- the live show is, is much more intense than the record. Yeah, well, I've seen so. little clips that people have posted yeah. online and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah. yeah, there's a definite energy, <laughs> extra energy... And I have, you know, I have a, a drummer who is wild and fantastic and puts out a lot of energy and he, he, he plays loud. 
<laughs> and I after after returning to um, rock and roll, I never expected. I mean, he's uh, his name is Dusty Watson, and he plays um, with uh, the the original, um, you know, the original garage rock band, the Sonics from the sixties, mm. and they're loud. And I saw him, <laughs> and I I just was amazed. He's such a fantastic drummer. Mm-hmm. So our shows are very high intensity, and um, I guess that's what I can do. I guess that's you know the energy that I have to be able to put out. You know. Well, it also yeah. speaks to a certain amount of confidence because Lord knows there's a number of lead singers out in this world that have oh. asked drummers to dial it back, and yeah. you know who don't want to have to compete with anyone in their band and you know the fact that you said no this guy you know really blows the roof off the joint and you know i'm i i think i can handle myself even with him you know blaring in the background it was was surprising but you know um we've been playing together now since we started recording this album and we started recording in february of 2016 and so we've played a number of shows, and then we went on tour about two years into it. And um, they're really great musicians. So we've been getting really dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just every man for himself. It's like every everyone in the in the band is super respectful, and we kind of go up and down together because they're such good musicians. Mm. And I guess me being one of them. You know, I guess. I <laughs> yeah. mean, and, and, and you were talking about, like, owning it. And that is um, definitely uh, part of it. You know, I just have to accept my spot. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I definitely could be someone who, you know, in the past maybe felt undeserving or didn't want that attention. In fact, when I started this, I wanted it to be a band. I wanted to be a band member along with other band members. Mm-hmm. We are a band, but they said, no, you're going to, we're going to call this for Dixon. And I was like, well, I really don't want that, you know? Mm. And they said, well, you know, your name has recognition, a little bit of recognition. And, and that's what we want for you if you'll do it. And so I ended up doing that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you just, I don't know. I've played, you know, you play a long time and I saw my, my dear friend Rosie Flores play the other night, Friday night in Huntington beach. And I've known her for 35 years now. Mm-hmm. And she is definitely one of the top women lead guitar players anywhere, anywhere mm-hmm. you will see. And, you know, I've known her for such a long time. And when I saw her Friday night, she had such a depth in her soul for her playing, but she had such a lightness of being because after a while you just accept it. You just step into it and do it. And some people can do that earlier than maybe somebody like me took me a while, but it's just like you either have to get in or get out. And and just to clarify, accept what, what is it you're accepting? You know, like I don't have a problem playing with men Mm-hmm. I don't have a, um, uh, you know, there, there's just, there are differences in with men and women playing music. 
but I treat my people that I play with really respectfully and they treat me really respectfully mm-hmm. and I just own my spot because who else is going to own it? You know? Yeah. And, um, it just took, a, it just took some years and I have some history and I accept that history now for a while. I wanted to like just sweep it under the rug or I didn't want to be associated with it. And it's just like, I, I own it all. You know, mm. the good, the bad, whatever, you know, and that's a really comfortable place to be, mm. you know, and some people who knew me when I was playing like Americana folk music may not like this music. I know a lot of them do because, you know, just as like society goes on, we're more accepting of, you know, it's not like yeah. Bob Dylan going electric or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. be for everyone. But, um, you know, it just gets to a point where you just don't worry about it anymore. Well, well, that yeah. brings up, in the liner notes for the album, it says, you wrote, special thanks to the men throughout my career who taught me so much about playing music in a band. And mm-hmm. one of the things I was wondering is, all right, so what are some of the things that they taught you? Well, you know, I've... I've, I've my first band that I went on the road with was uh, in 1983 and it was called the Whirly Birds and my boyfriend was in the band and I had been a bass player for one year Hmm. but I really wanted to be a bass player and I was pretty good. I guess I had some natural stuff, you know, Hmm. and I went on this, on the road in a motorhome driving around the country playing in Austin and Oklahoma City and Lincoln, Nebraska and Indiana and all over the place uh, with the Whirlybirds. And, you know, they said, you're not going to get to take a shower every day. You're probably not going to get to iron your clothes. You know, play hard. Don't stop. Play with a pick. You know, I mean, it was just like, and I was like, "Uh, okay, (laughs) you know. And it didn't, um, I figured they were treating me like one of the guys. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um. And that was fine with me because I wanted to be one of the guys. I never wanted to sing like a woman. Hmm. I do now. I totally love singing like a woman. But back then, I was not that into, you know, my contemporaries, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that band, I learned to be tough and play aggressively and just, you know, be like a worker, you know? Yeah, And I've played with men all along. I've had a couple of men partners musically. And, um, you know, when I started playing folk music, it went from rock and roll where during the solos, you kind of like amp it up. Mm-hmm. To in the solos, when you're playing folk music, you have to get quiet so you can hear the guy, the guy who's playing guitar. Acoustic guitar, you know? Right, right, right. I've had to learn all these different standards and all that. And it was really helpful. And I mean, I've learned really what what I know now from the men that I've played with. And and I want that to be known. Hmm. So that's why I consciously put that in there. Because I had a lot of men that I really watched very closely and... They had a huge influence, positive, I feel, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to um, kind of salute them. 
And I'm also curious, what are some of the things that, you know, you learned that maybe weren't overt directions that maybe you kind of just absorbed through osmosis and I don't know, playing with them. Um, well, I think working in a man, a man, a man's field, like uh, rock and roll, there are certain things that men do because it's, it's a given. Um, now I, you know, I know, like some hothead male musicians, but I know mm-hmm. for the for the for the main point, they're they're usually like pretty cool, pretty low key, and they don't get steamed, and they don't beg, and um, they ask for something, and they sort of expect to get it. They're not afraid of um, business being business and music is a business, right? Supposedly. And they take that seriously. And so what I try to project, which feels appropriate to me in the music world is asking for what I need and staying neutral on the outside, even if I'm kind of steamed on the inside Hmm. and not being defensive and, uh, just being cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that, that's the main thing. There's, you know, um, I'm equal to them. They're equal to me. Um, maybe there is a double standard, but that is not my focus. You know, because I think I behave in a professional manner. Yeah. Um, I like to make sure that everybody gets paid properly before me, even, especially, you know, the guys that are, like, playing my songs. Mm-hmm. And I just try to um, take care of them. And in a, another sense, like, I feel like I am a nurturing person. I like to make sure everybody eats is comfortable mm. <laughs> <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. So like when we go into the studio or whatever, a lot of times they make food, I bring it. I just, you know, I just want to make sure if I can, that all the bases are covered, you know? Yeah. And I think that, um, really promotes a lot of goodwill and, um, they take care of me too. Hmm. Well, know? that, yeah. And, and that, Kind of, you know, makes me think of the the point that you were also a co-producer on this album in addition to being the lead. And I'm wondering, was the producer in you ever in conflict with the artist in you? Never. Hmm. Nope. Um... I don't know how this album got made. I'm, I'm, I'm very, ha- I'm very happy with how how it came, how it was completed and done. Mm-hmm. And it was really an album of um, flow. And whoever had uh, what I want is what's right for the song and for the album. Mm-hmm. And. I found that no matter how many people you work with, 
um, in a project, and there was a, a couple of us um, that we were all in agreement as far as the sound was concerned and the parts were concerned of what worked. Hmm. So if my idea didn't work, I got no problem with that scrapping it, mm-hmm. you know, and Dennis Moody, who was a co-producer and engineer and Paul Rossler, who was a co-producer producer and engineer. Um, we all worked in this flow and there was no ego. Mm. And, I, you know, I, a lot of my ideas just came out of the osmosis. I'd be washing my hands in the bathroom. I'd come out, our sax player would be doing a part, and I would say, this part just popped into my head. You want to try it? You know? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, it went like that. I was so surprised. I had no idea what this was going to sound like. All I did was get everybody together and let them rip, you know? Mm-hmm. We learned the songs very quickly. We we had um, our guitar player Bernard Yin step in and play fantastic guitar parts. Like four or five months into the recording, we had to wait for him to get back from Spain. He was on tour, mm-hmm. and we knew that he was going to be the guy for the job. He mm-hmm. came in. He just like zipped incredible parts out. Um, it was just a flow. You know, um, and that's, that's how it seems to go with us. Like we go into the studio, these guys here, we kind of hear this, have the same, um, not vision, but you know, musical vision. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we just do it now there, you know, there, it did take a while for me to find someone to do this kind of mix that I was looking for. Okay. And that was, um, that was, uh, rough to have to, you know, work with a few different people until I found the right person. Is there like a year? I know it's kind of, uh, an esoteric kind of idea, but is there any way to describe the type of mix you were looking for? Well, when I, um, started listening to some of the tunes, they started sounding very, reminiscent of like 1970s rock and roll the stuff Mm -hmm. that i was listening to when i was like a teenager Mm -hmm. and so i thought okay a lot of the production now is really kind of um thin in my opinion okay thin on top and middle and big thumping bottom and stuff and i just wanted the warmth of vinyl Mm -hmm. and so i was seeking that um, I had some people tell me that they could do that. So I, you know, had a couple mixes and mm-hmm. I had to sort of scrap them and keep moving along until I found the one guy, um, who had the history. And I mean, that was the other thing I wanted someone with history. So I was kind of looking for older people because mm. I figured they had the experience with tape recordings and mixing and mastering from then, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, I found Matt Lee and Matt Lee has a lot of, um, 
experience and we had similar vision and um, he was the guy and he made it really easy. So he mixed and mastered it and um, wasn't sure it was going to get mixed and mastered and he called me up one night and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I have this album and I, I give up. <laughs> and he says, and he says, oh, I mix and, and master. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they all say. <laughs> and he says, well, I just did some um, engineering and mixing for Joni Mitchell. And I said, listen, pal, I ain't Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And he said, well, let me have a tune and let me see how I do. And he, and he did the job. And hmm. it was lovely. It was lovely. It was the working situation was wonderful, you know? Wow. So it um, took a little bit longer than I had hoped, but, um, you know, considering it's all self-financed um, with through myself and with some donations and stuff like that, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Cool. And with this album, it, it seems like your voice seems to change with each song. Um, and I'm wondering, how did you decide what voice you were going to use for a particular song? I am. Like, for instance, um, Baby's on Fire, which is a Brian Eno tune that I covered. Yeah. That was a song that's like popped into my head many, at least once a year. Um, if some kind of trouble was afoot right? <laughs> that had to do with me, right? Mm. It would just pop into my head. Baby's on fire. I'd be like, uh-oh, you know? Yeah. I have all these songs from my history that just like float in and out. And I thought, well, I'll do that song. So when I went into the studio, and I have to say, I did my vocals at Paul Rossler's Kitten Robot Studio. He has this beautiful tube microphone. Old. Uh, I can't remember the name of it fantastic, like buttery vocals, right? Hmm. So my vocals, I was doing them all there. They're all from his studio. Mm-hmm. And it's just super comfy, and he's such a, a nice, nurturing person, and it was, it was really comfortable. So I was having a kind of a difficult time with, say, Babies on Fire, right? And so I decided, just to break myself out of whatever spell I was in, that I was going to sing like two, like, like alter egos. Hmm. Right. So I sang all of the first lines and then I came back and I sang all of the second lines in a different take. Oh, right. And it didn't work, Hmm. but I went back and I sang the whole tune sort of in that alter ego kind of a thing in one take and it worked. Oh, okay. You know, there's like all these, you know, there's all these tricks and stuff. I'm not like by any means a musical genius. Right. But my ex-husband boyfriend, Gary Dickstein, he made me sit and watch rock and roll documentaries. Made you talk incessantly (laughs) about, how people recorded and the Beach Boys and Rolling Stones and 
all these bands, right? Yeah. And so, and the blues guys, and they all had these little tricks that they would do, and they were very simple, but they were really effective. Mm -hmm. You know? And yeah. so, I just, you know, like if I'm songwriting and I um, get stuck, I would try a different tuning. Hmm. Just to break myself out of that, whatever that rut that I would be in. Yeah. So when I did Babies on Fire and I sang it like two different alter egos, it worked, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, as far as all the tunes sounding different, I think they all kind of sound like me. But I think it's also a kind of a good example of um, widths and depths of, of what we can do, what I can do. Hmm. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it ain't Bruce Springsteen, you know, <laughs> or whoever. <laughs> right, but I mean, you know, it, it it's... Uh, vocally, sonically, it, it's, it is like a, a, a different personalities between, say, Sugar Sweet and Daydream Walking. It's, yeah, and I, and I, and that, maybe that's me. Maybe I have the, all those different personalities. I guess I do. I mean, I do. <laughs> I mean, daydream walking, right? Mm -hmm. I am a big um, James Bond theme song fan. Oh. From like the 60s mm -hmm. and the 70s, right? And um, I used to think that kind of female singing was um, kind of bombastic and over the top and stuff like that. But it's really fun, <laughs> and I and I own it now. And I'm a you know like I'm a grown up woman. I would almost say lady, but maybe and maybe sometimes I am, you know. But then on the other side, I like to sing loud and trashy and stupid mm -hmm. and scream sometimes, you know. So it's all in there, and because I get to co-produce. And the songs are coming from me. I get to pick, like, for the first time in my life. I had nobody telling me what I could do, what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And so I take the heat if it's, you know, if it doesn't work or if it does work. But I think there's a flow to it. And I think there's a, there's a story. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, Codine, I, I like that message. Um, I love Buffy St. Marie. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, a tune that was written in 1964 and it's definitely right now. It's, it's mm. very, um, it's what's happening right now. Yeah. Know? And, um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think there's a problem with all the different voices because they're not disingenuous. They're all me. Right. Right. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just, I still think it's rare for a singer to be able to do that. I mean, even artists I love, there's a lot of them where it's, they don't do that from song to song within an album. You know, it's still that same voice, either a little faster or a little slower, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, whereas, you know, as, as you point out, you know, with you, it's, it's you know, a little bit more, uh, one moment... Uh, yeah, 
you know, one minute it's it's a little more punk, a little more attitude, and then you know the sex. The next minute it's it's you know uh, you know as you were saying, kind of this you know from Russia with love theme vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the next album probably will be more of a straight, more of a straight rock and roll album. And I have to say also that um, coming out of the music that I was playing previously in mm-hmm. my previous incar- incarnation, a couple of the songs came from that. Um, when I was coming out of, you know, when I played Americana folk, my music, my songs that I was writing were still like a little bit sophisticated for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think. So I wrote If I Was Free while I was doing that. I've mm. done uh, two different versions of it. One of them is really like folk style, just kind of two guitars. And um, I don't know, there might be some pedal steel on there or something like that. You can find that on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, somebody asked me to do a version for a movie. And I did this other version. And then I wanted to do a, a rock and roll version with this band because I thought it would be cool. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that came from my previous incarnation, as did Daydream Walking was sort of when I was in transition. So some of these songs definitely translated well into rock and roll. Yeah. And then like Sugar Sweet and Get That Saddle Off of My Back. They were from I wrote them when I was living in Austin, Texas mm-hmm. in 1990. And those songs had never seen the light of day. And suddenly I was like, oh, I can. And I played those songs solo a lot. And they go over really well, you mm-hmm. know, in kind of like uh, folk concert settings. People still enjoy them and everything. But they, the first time they've ever been on an album is now. Mm. So uh, what else? Oh, and then, you know, and then I started writing songs. Currently, like, Out of Darkness, Slowly, um, I'm trying to think of what other ones. Then there's Codine, and then there's uh, Babies on Fire. Those were my two cover songs. Yeah, Morning um, Comes, oh, No Warning. and, right, that was at the end of my folk thing. Hmm. And, but I think of that as, like, sort of like a, it sort of sounds like an Irish traditional tune, you know? And, and and you know what people say when I go over to Europe? Hmm. They say, this is Americana. And I'm like, oh, even when they see us live and we're playing like loud rock and roll, they're like, it's Americana. Huh. That's how, well, that's how they think about it. Okay. So I'm like, I'm cool with that. But they say the Ramones <laughs> are Americana. Oh. It's rock and roll, but it's American. It's Americana. You know? Yeah, I guess. It's just, you know, one of those things like in the U.S. when people mention Americana, the Ramones certainly don't fall into that classification. But look at, you know, how we view ourselves and then look at how the world views us. Yeah. We have a pretty myopic viewpoint of ourselves, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's really interesting to go out of the country and then see what they have to say. Mm-hmm. 
And it was pretty, you know, there was a lot. Of, it wasn't just one person that said that. Like quite a few people said that to me. So I thought, huh. And then, you know, I also, my beginnings came from rockabilly an old rock and roll, an old, like, 1950s R&B. That was the stuff that I was listening to. And then I kind of went into, like, some classic country and, you know, was into country music for quite a while. Um, but when I wrote My Baby Go in, I had the flu in the summertime. Mm. And I was, like, definitely mind-altered. <laughs> and this thing just, like, popped into my head, and it just came out. Wow. And I have to say, I have a songwriting partner, um, and his name is Rick Taylor. Yeah. R.I.C. Taylor. And we've been writing together now for 10 years. And because I, first of all, he's really good with words. I really enjoy um, the um, uh, getting together. We try to get together like once a week on Mondays. And we'll um, write for two hours. And so we wrote, um, If I Was Free was one of our first teams we wrote, like, in 2008. Hmm. And he helped me with Daydream Walking. Um, I'm not even looking at the album in front of me. But, um, oh, he, he helped me um, write My Baby Go Diving. And so he and I have a really nice... Um, working relationship. And what are, what are those sessions like? You know, I mean, what does he bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? How do you guys you know, knock ideas I, back I, and forth? I, um, first of all, he says he won't write with anybody else. Mm. <laughs> awesome. And he says, second of all, he says, you're the boss, boss. And I'm like, that's BS. That's not <laughs> true. Because what I want is I want what's for the song, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever works, whatever fits in that Rubik's Cube fits. And whatever doesn't, we throw away. But I also like, um, he's a little bit older than me. And I, you know, was born in the 60s. And I heard a lot of music that my mother was into, which was, a lot of 1940s music, hmm. um, Sinatra and all those guys, right? Mm -hmm. And and 60s music, um, and I like the language. It's slightly, I don't know, it's slightly more complex and maybe a little bit more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And Rick brings that to the table. Hmm. He, um, he's very intelligent and he helps me twist the lyrics in a way that to me, it makes my brain kind of sparkle a little bit. In a, in a real way, because if it's not real sounding, if, you know, if I can't buy it, then I won't sell it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, as, as the saying goes, the singer has to wear the song. Yeah. So he helps me complete my vision. And I'm usually the one, you know, I say, let's, you know, let's try this. And we do it. 
And I mean, one song that uh, hasn't been recorded yet, it's called L.A. Broken River. Um, hmm. It's a pretty damn simple song, and it took us like three months of Mondays to write it. Wow. But then it, that's not usually how it happens. Like my baby go diving, I had a good part of it written, and we finished the other half of it in one sitting because he's like a freak like that. <laughs> he likes those ridiculous kind of, you know. I mean, it's about, um, well, I should, should I tell you what it's about? Uh, it's entirely up to you if you want. I mean, <laughs> some people about, like to tell stories about songs. Some people like to leave it up to the listener. It's about cunnilingus and fellatio. Okay, then. <laughs> In a way that's very um, fun and uh, <laughs> covert. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. Probably won't be included on a Disney soundtrack anytime soon, but that doesn't matter. Well, you know matter. what? I hmm. bet you it's a, it becomes a uh, theme song for a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you. It could. Mark my words. It could. I, I just have a feeling about it. <laughs> and you know what? It, it, there, there's, it's, it's very pedestrian, so there you go. But I let the cat out of the bag about that one. <laughs> and then you had said um in an interview that you moved from the bass to the guitar quote in order to be able to put on a better live show no it's true well in in what ways would the bass hamper that because when i it for me when I used to play bass and sing, it was like having to split my brain in half hmm. because my vocals would go up and the bass would go down. Mm-hmm. The bass does not follow the vocals. And, you know, basically where I come from at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not a school musician, really. Um, I am a rhythm musician. So I can play bass if I'm not singing. But when I'm singing and when I'm coming from the point of my own songs, Mm -hmm. it's kind of really important that I have the rhythm in there. Mm. Until I find somebody that can really do what I do and I can take my hands off of the guitar for a little while. I mean, ultimately, I would live to be wrong. But right now, I think... It's the core of the tunes. I could play these tunes without a band. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well the band would play the tunes without me. Because I really push them. Push them or how? hold them back. Or, uh, well, I mean, I push them rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Um, I set the tempos. Um, so... It's the, it's, it's the, um, it's the center. It it goes from the vocals and the guitar outward. So it's, I I don't, and we probably wouldn't be able to do that as effectively even on bass. Hmm. You know? Yeah. It's important. It's like, it's like kind of having the the steering wheel, you know? Okay. 
but then you did play bass on Morning Comes No Warning. Is that yeah. because it's it's uh, a lower, slower tune and thus maybe well, more in sync with it, the bass? or It was multi-tracking, right? Okay. So I put down... Um, I... I think it was just because I was there. Okay. You know, and and we needed that. You know, at the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm not like, I mean, if I was to play bass, I would definitely have to woodshed for a few weeks. And um, I, it's just like, it's just not something. When I, when I put a band together, started putting a band together in 2015, decided I was going to play rock and roll. I had a little backyard party. And I played bass, and I had some pals come, and we played eight tunes, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Just to see how it would go. And it was total success. It was just one thing that I just knew was that I just didn't have it in me to, like, keep that kind of rhythm going and, and be able to, like, really focus on vocal performance. Mm. And so... You know, every problem has a solution, and I'm like, okay, so what's the deal? What's going to make my life better and easier in this project? And then um, Dave Provost, my friend, who I've known for a long time, he just showed up at that party, that backyard party, and he's a guitar player, and he's also a bass player. He's played with Davey Allen and the Arrows on bass, um, Dream Syndicate, and... Uh, I just thought, oh, got to ask Dave if he can do it. Hmm. And he's a fantastic bass player. So it was just seamless, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, it is for some people. It's just not for me mm-hmm. right now. And I love the bass. I love playing the bass. I just want to do the best that I can. So, and and so I'm, the you good- know, I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm a decent rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. And it helped, and, and and it's a good um, way of expressing myself. And it frees you up a little bit more in terms a of the lot, live performance. A lot more, yeah. Mm. Because we do a lot more uh, dynamic stuff where we actually stop playing. You know, we do we break it down, mm-hmm. and then we build it back up. There's a lot of dynamics, and it's fun because you know playing dynamically is being on like a, a, a hilly country road, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's important. That's the show. Thank you for listening. You can find more interviews at bands fanscom Our theme music was created by iSourceMusic.com. And please check out our other podcasts. Connect to Fans, where I interview insightful and creative business people. A healthy dose of ER. Two longtime friends talk through episodes and basically revel in the fact that their favorite show is finally available for binging. Love you to death. Four hometown friends dish on all things past, present, and future.